Well, if it isn't Mr. Do. Hello. Greetings to you. Greetings to you, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, man. Weeks off to a start. To a start? <laughs> a start, yeah. Generally, it's, beginning week. It's it started, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, not, not too much to report so far. I'm right there with you. Right on. Um, I'll be right back. Oh, wait, hold on one sec. Uh Welcome to another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. We are uh, back in full force tonight. We have Andrew, Matt, the brothers Devlin, and Michael with us tonight. And we are uh, going to break down the Eagles victory uh, at home hosting the Giants last Thursday night on Thursday Night Football. Uh, narrow victory, 22 to 21. Uh, fellas, how are we feeling tonight before we get out of the gate here? Uh, we're doing great, Chris. Another right. week celebrating a yep. victory. Yes. You know, I wish it was a little bit of a nicer victory, but it's weird to say this. The Eagles are in first place in the NFC East. Feel better than last week, but only by a little bit. Uh, we still got our work cut out for us, but first place is first place, Chris. Yeah, so the whole narrative of a win is a win, I think, was really strong uh, after this game, not just because of the score, but because of the sort of mixed bag uh, that we saw from the Eagles. And, and that was definitely with Carson Wentz uh, being at the forefront of all of that. So uh, you kind of get a classic Wentz game uh, against the Giants. You see a little bit of everything, including uh, really head scratching interception, throws across his body uh, that defy technique to the point that Troy Aikman encouraged young quarterbacks hoping to play in the league one day to never do what they saw Carson Wentz do. Uh, but his stat line doesn't reveal that 25 for 43 um, for 359 yards and two touchdowns and really came out razor sharp. I mean, they were just cutting down the field, seemed to execute uh, what seemed to me to be a scripted game plan, um, which was great to see. It's, it's been so long since we saw that kind of a hot start. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, the, the momentum after that start seemed to sort of disappear and a lot of it with Wentz um, kind of making questionable decisions. And, you know, I think it's worth saying that that throw I mentioned that, that Troy Aikman made a comment about across his body, he makes that play earlier in the game. It's, you know, very frustrating for us as fans. It's nearly uh, intercepted. He throws it to Fulgham and I think double coverage and it, it winds up being an incomplete pass. But later in the game, he rolls out almost the exact same way uh, and throws the ball not so much across the field, but to the middle of the field to Richard Rodgers for something like 40 yards. So this is kind of the classic dilemma of Carson Wentz because you get these head-scratching moments that are really frustrating to watch as fans and just really make you question him as a player. But then you get these really heroic moments, uh, and I can't leave out that final um, homing missile that he threw to uh, Boston Scott to, to really seal the victory. Um, there's a lot that I'm seeing that, that reminds me of what I saw before with Carson Wentz, but I'm just kind of up in the air with this guy right now. I, I feel like um, 
like it's complicated with Carson Wentz. It's, it's hard to settle on. Um, so I, I wanted to just touch base with you uh, three and ask you where are you at right now with, with Carson? Yeah, Chris, it's, it's kind of like this Jekyll and Hyde roller coaster ride. Um, I'm not having a ton of fun on it though. It's not, it's not a, my favorite roller coaster. Um, like you mentioned, a really great first drive couple strong throws to DJX, um, a sweep to DJX. So they were really trying to get him involved. Um, and then even on the uh, touchdown rush, rush, a good physical, you know, tuck and run. Things looking good. He's looking good. The next possession, he takes a terrible sack on third and long. And um, then they have to punt. They go three and out. So you sprinkle in that uh, during the game, the intentional grounding, um, that terrible Brett Favre-esque, dumb-dumb type of throw that you mentioned across uh, to Fulgham. And it's just, it's frustrating. Because um, even after all that, he leads two, two drives for two touchdowns under five minutes. Um, and yeah, an incredible throw to Boston Scott. And I don't know, I just, I keep going back to what I mentioned on a previous pod that he clearly has above um, above average athleticism. And I think each week we're kind of seeing that increase more and more with the scrambling, with some stronger throws. But his decision-making and his ability to read the defense still baffles me. It's still subpar at best. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, I, The one thing I take away is that, you know, each week or each of the last three weeks, let's say, it does seem that there's – more and more good plays, dynamic plays. Um, so maybe this is just a long road to 2000, back to the way he was. Um, I, I don't know what the, the regression was a, a root cause of. Was it coaching changes? Was it um, decimated offensive line? Uh, well, I, I would like to say that I think he exasper, exacerbates the, uh, the flaws of the offensive line because I think they've done pr a pretty good job but I think he does not step up enough in the pocket, but that's all other thing. Um, yeah, let's, we'll keep it positive. I think he's showing uh, signs of improvement, but yeah, this it's, it's Jekyll and Hyde, Matt. I agree with you, Andrew. Now, if you compare his numbers to the first three games of the season, it is night and day. He is trending in the right directions. Interceptions still seem to be a problem. Uh, we don't have to harp on this. Uh, that was a boneheaded play. He is a veteran player, and he is far enough in his career where he knows he needs to throw that ball away. I think you bring up a very interesting point in that intentional grounding. I went back and I watched that play a few times uh, and broke it down in slow motion. Um, it's a... It's a um, blitz by the uh, middle linebacker, and it's right off the snap counts. Um, so it was very well timed by the linebacker there to hit the hole uh, right as Wentz is snapping the ball. So just quick uh, reference there, you know, Wentz has his cadence. Uh, we rarely see him switch that up. Um, unless it's a short yardage play, maybe something that he needs to look into. I saw Nick Foles switching it up a lot last night, uh, though it didn't work for him. <laughs> and then he goes through uh, his progressions only on the left side of the field. Now, Boston Scott steps up and picks up the blitzing linebacker, but a uh, five-six guy on a blitzing linebacker is only going to buy you so much time. And he had no presence uh, of feeling that blitz coming until the linebacker is around his feet and he has to panic and get rid of the ball and he can't even reach the line of scrimmage leading to the intentional grounding. So uh, as a veteran, he needs to have more awareness and we do see it from time to time where he can shake a um, – uh, DN that's coming off and tackling from his back. He ducks and shakes the uh, DN. We have seen this, but for him to miss that uh, blitzing linebacker, you're thinking you're watching a rookie play. And it's weird that sometimes he has the presence and other times he doesn't. I, I don't get it. 
it is good to see that he is improving. Uh, once again, interceptions seem to be an issue, uh, but he continues to have these boneheaded plays and against a good team, unlike the New York Giants, uh, that's going to cost us. Mike? Yeah, I mean, looking at Carson's performance, I think I would break it down into two categories. Um, I guess I'd start off by saying that Carson is like, <clears throat> he's a really concentrated football player. He's like hyper concentrated on the field. And it seems like because of that, in like when the game's on the line situations and he's like got that focus like right on, he's able to just dial it in. And, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've kind of seen him be clutch in the, in the fourth quarter. Now he seems to take that like super focus. He's always got it, but it's like working against him uh, some of the other time. And I, I think, if he's to progress, he needs to be able to like rein that in and maybe Doug really needs to work with him to be able to get him not to press quite as much, but I'm, I'm seeing two Carsons and, you know, I think he needs to, it's like this focus or pressing um, that works great in the clutch situations of the game, but serves against them in some of the other parts. Chris. Well, part of the reason, I don't mean to cut you off, Mike, if you have more to say, but part of the reason, you know, he needs to be clutch is because he showed up for one drive and then didn't show up for most of the rest of the game until, as Andrew mentioned, it was under five minutes. I wrote it down. Uh, it's 21-10 with 6.15 to go. Um, and he, he does. He pulls off a, a really, it's undeniable what he did, um, leading the team, uh, not only that um, ending touchdown uh, to Boston Scott, but also that play to Greg Ward. That was a really, I mean, dynamic play and it was a, a must have sort of situation. And he know he knew right where to go and, and Ward made the play. Um, so it was kind of dual in part, but, you know, I, I think the thing with Carson, as far as the line is concerned, and I'm so glad Andrew and Matt both hit on that is that what I saw in this game was there were actually times Carson had a clean pocket and he himself kind of muddied it, that he showed kind of a lack of awareness and almost sense pressure that wasn't there and stepped himself into a bad situation or into the back of the line. Uh, just a couple clumsy moments like that. But Andrew's point is also well taken that things are sort of trending in the direction where we're seeing more of those dynamic plays more often. Um, and part of the reason for that is people stepping up. And we've talked about Travis Fulgham in previous weeks, but this game, I think we have to go right from talking about Carson Wentz to talking about Boston Scott, who uh, really pulled off an unbelievable catch in a, in a situation where um, they absolutely needed it at the end of the game. And for everything that Boston Scott has uh, accomplished uh, in last year's season, this year, he's sort of come up short. We've been underwhelmed uh, thus far, but the Eagles are in a situation where I believe it's um, first and goal from the three. Um, and unfortunately they have a face mask penalty uh, by Jason Kelsey, which pushes them back to the 18. So it's first and 18. And on the first play, uh, Carson scans the field, looks to his right and sees uh, Boston Scott breaking for the right pylon against Julius Peppers, who's a great player. And he throws kind of a trust throw and Boston Scott pretty much makes the catch one handed, brings it down uh, in really heroic fashion, but just stepped up in a big moment. And in a game where, you know, the number one running back, Miles Sanders, wasn't there. Um, it makes you wonder, you know, hopefully Miles would make that play. I would think he would, but there's something about Boston Scott in those big moments. Uh, and especially when it comes to playing the Giants, I believe he has six career touchdowns and five of them are against the Giants. So uh, his stats for this game, Boston Scott's, that is uh, 12 for 46 uh, and a 3.8 average rushing um, and three for 46 with a 15.3 uh, average in receiving. So he, you know, guy really stepped up, but as far as the, the running aspect um, we're still I'm still noticing a, a big lack and that's even when Miles Sanders is healthy um, but especially in his absence given that he's been injured now uh, wasn't able to play against the Giants likely will not be able to play against the Cowboys from everything that I'm hearing I haven't heard anything to the contrary we'll probably know more later this week when we podcast again but I pose the question to you guys as the trade deadline approaches um, even with a healthy Sanders, it, are you seeing this hole at running back? 
Um, and before I pass it around, I'll give honorable mention to, uh, I think it's Jason Huntley, who I thought number 32, who I thought actually played some good snaps. He had a couple uh, plays that made you look a little bit and more so than what I've seen from Boston Scott, mostly in the running game from him, uh, but definitely from Corey Clement all year. So do the Eagles need uh, another running back? Yeah, I can take this. Um, I, I think this is entirely up to Duck um, and the play calling because right now, even, you know, Miles, healthy or not healthy, we average um, just under 24 attempts a game. That's bottom five in the league with supposedly a top five talent. Maybe that's generous, but top 10, no doubt, for Miles Sanders. So, you know, I think that's what, fair for Sanders. Yeah. I think top 10 is fair for Sanders. Top 10, <laughs> yeah, five ambitions. But y- you know what I mean? I mean, to be that low with supposedly such a dynamic running back, um, it, it, to me, it means that they're not invested into the running game. Now, part of that is because they get behind and they have to throw and they rely on Carson to make some plays. Um, but, you know, to me, I don't know what dynamic value add a, a backup running back has um, at this point, at this juncture. I think in 2017, we saw what it could do when you had Ajayi, you had Blunt um, and Corey even. And you had kind of this mini three-headed monster, and they could all spell each other. They all did things a little bit differently. Um, but who knows? Maybe this was a nice little breakout game for, for Boston Scott. Maybe when Miles comes back healthy, you get more of a one-two between those two. Um, you can get the screen game going again. You saw that um, uh, with Boston against the Giants. Carson actually hit uh, a couple screen passes or a little dump-off wheel routes. But um, I don't know. I think in terms of do the Eagles need a, a running back? No. Um, not at this point. There's too many other needs for me. Um, and, you know, I think when the trade deadline comes and um, they look to, you know, uh, who's on the waiver wire to, to bring in some guys, um, I don't think you'll see that in the, in the running back position. But, you know, who knows? This team surprises me all the time. Yeah, um, I, I am in agreement with Andrew there. Um, not a lot of running backs out there either. Not that I've seen so far to pick up. Um, got Boston Scott, the giant killer. Great to see him and his performance. Chris, I, I do agree with you. Haven't seen much out of him this season, uh, but I do believe it is because Miles Sanders is such a workhorse at that position. But also agreeing with Andrew, uh, we've had a lot of success in the past having that three-headed monster at running back. Uh, Deuce Staley was a part of a three-headed monster, now our running back's coach. So I wouldn't be surprised if he is in Peterson's ear at the trade deadline saying, hey, let me get some help back here because Corey Clement is not getting it done. Uh, Two carries for nine yards uh, and Jason Huntley, uh, two carries for 13 yards. He was also returning uh, some uh, kick returns and did a decent job of it. The one who <laughs> was a little nervous, he fell on the ball, but got up and um, had a nice scamper there. So, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I liked what Boston did. Um, I also liked what uh, Deshaun did on the jet sweep. And uh, if we know that Deshaun's out, but if Reger is coming back, can we get three jet sweeps from Rager in the future? That takes um, a little, it takes off a few carries from Boston Scott until Miles is healthy and uh, ready to come back. So I don't know how much we can buy at the trade deadline because uh, we're right up the cap, right up at the cap for next year and how he needs to do a lot of shifting around. So it should be interesting to see what we can actually pull off at the trade deadline. And I don't think there's that many big names out there. I think we may see us relying on Huntley and uh, Boston Scott until uh, we get back Miles Sanders. Mike? Yeah, Matt. Um, I mean, just as a, a quick side note, I'm not sure if this was brought up on the last pod, but I did put in. Boston Scott as my offensive player of the game. Um, And there's a good reason for that because Boston Scott has shown a lot of good playing, you know, previous to this game uh, in the run game, in the uh, screen game. I just figured with miles out of the lineup that he would be the workhorse in terms of the running back position. Um, 
But I really do think overall, it's kind of hard to judge the Eagles um, committee of running backs just because of all of the change that's been happening with the offensive line. Um, there's so many pieces coming in and out, moving players from one position to the other that it's there's no stability. And, um, you know, the running backs and the offensive line, their games really match up together. Um, so in terms of adding another player at the running back spot, I think that overall, especially we'll get into Doug at some point, but that's just going to confuse Doug even more. He's trying to figure out how to use the pieces that he's got right now. If you bring like um, Le'Veon Bell just got picked up. If we had would have brought in Le'Veon, that would have caused so many additional headaches, I, I believe, for the Eagles because just another player that he has to implement into the game plan that, you know, too much complexity at this point. I, I hear what you guys are saying. I guess to me, um, you know, there, there's sort of a lack in the run game in the sense that, you know, we didn't have miles in the first week and the run game with Boston Scott and Corey Clement was pretty much non-existent. Um, <clears throat> even still in this game, Boston Scott didn't produce a whole lot running. He caught, he did a lot of uh, catching the ball and then running afterwards. So there's still sort of a lack in uh, production when it comes to the run game. But Andrew makes a good point in saying that the Eagles still haven't been running it as much. Um, and to be fair, I think, you know, if they were to throw another player into the mix, as Mike said, it could just complicate things. But there are some names being thrown around, fellas. So here are three names that are being uh, kind of tossed around as potential uh, trade targets for the Eagles. Um, the first, and this is one that we touched on, Matt and I touched on in last podcast, is Frank Gore, who's currently with the Jets. Uh, everybody knows who Frank Gore is, the inconvenient truth, as Matt pointed out uh, in the last podcast. Uh, another player who uh, sort of was signed to a big contract and um, hasn't really had much production this year, just 14 yards but three touchdowns, is Jordan Howard, who we had last year and um, was signed to Miami uh, and it's kind of fallen out of favor there because they have uh, a core of, of running backs and he just hasn't been used other than in goal line situations. And the last one, and this is the most probably intriguing to me, is Bo Scarborough, uh, who's kind of fallen out of favor in Detroit uh, because of uh, having drafted DeAndre Swift and then acquiring, um, excuse me, Adrian Peterson. So just a few names that are being floated around and all of them being bigger backs. So I think it's just an interesting uh, idea, but I agree with a lot of what's been said. Will the Eagles invest? Does it matter considering a shaky O-line? Uh, does it change, you know, Doug and his mentality when he's thinking about game planning? Uh, it's hard to say, but I think they need some kind of a running option if Sanders uh, is not going to be there. And even if he is there, I think to compliment him, uh, it couldn't hurt. But given everything that's going on this year, particularly the needs, I could see them going elsewhere come trade time. Uh, let's transition to talk about Doug a little bit. Um, the first thing I want to bring up was that challenge flag situation um, where he was not able to get the challenge flag out in time. And it was, was it Ingram? Arrow. Come down short. Was it, was it Evan Ingram? I think who came down short or was it Shepard? I forget who the player was, but that's bad on Doug. Doug's got to get it that. Was. Doug's got to get that out there. Well, and I think the more that they showed the replay, the matter I got at Doug um, for not sort of having this, oversight because he's referred before to folks upstairs and you know analytics and all that sort of thing so I was hoping somebody was giving him the word to just grab that flag and chuck it uh, but that was a really frustrating situation um, the two-point conversion plays seem to just be uh, a headache every time we see it and they always seem to be playing from behind so they're sort of desperation plays and there's just no creativity from what I gather um, the first drive, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, was really great. What he was able to script there was excellent. And even going back to some of those plays might have been a good idea, but I really didn't see that happen very much. Um, and there's something about um, this idea that a team can run a play, the defense can't do anything about it, and the offense just continues to run that same play. And for some reason, Doug doesn't step on that as, as much as I think he should. But I found his play calling uninventive. Uh, the offense seems kind of predictable. Uh, at times, although players are making big plays, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham, Boston Scott. Um, but short yardage used to be something for Doug that was like a go-to and his fourth down aggression was really based on his ability to, to scheme up something, uh, even if it was just a quarterback sneak, you know, to just 
uh, tuck it and run or, or just jump over the line there. But we haven't seen a lot of that this year. And so, you know, my confidence in Doug right now is, is shaky at best. Um, I think a lot of the times we're seeing the Eagles play well. This is my personal opinion. I think Carson's freelancing out there. Um, I can see it on certain plays for sure. Um, but I think there's a sort of either disconnect or a balance of power or something happening there that's, that's complicating things. And, and Doug doesn't seem like himself. It's like he's, he's, got, a, he's got a pretzel in his head. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I really think we should spend a whole podcast on Doug at some point and just dissect play calling, play calling strategy. If one play works, how do you create a variation of it, um, you know, to keep Where going? Balls went. Yeah, I think that would be really fun at some point to do it. Um, but I agree with what you're saying. If I, if I just have to state one excuse before we get into the ripping on Doug from the Giants game, his play calling up front was, was pretty good. The, you know, we came out, came out pretty, pretty hot, um, scored on our first drive. And we were going tempo on that drive, which also was, I think, a thing that was getting Carson in it. Then you start to have guys on the O-line going down. Now you have piecemeal people filling in at spots where what I heard was Doug wasn't able to go tempo anymore. So he had to slow it down. Um, this definitely did seem to play a role in breaking the rhythm that the Eagles had because um, their offense did go stagnant after that. I'm wondering if some of his play calling is so sporadic because of the changing personnel during a game, not just him being an idiot. <laughs> Um, and I'm not claiming he's an idiot. I mean, obviously the guy, you know, uh, was one of the most creative and inventive coaches that we'd seen here or in the NFL in a long time, but it just seems that there's some kind of a disconnect going on. Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to comment on that first drive. Great first drive, march down the field, score the points, but more often than not, that first drive is scripted. Those plays are already in place. Uh, there may be some variation. Carson may change one or two things up at the line. But going into that, they've watched the tape, and uh, usually that first offensive drive is scripted, and then it's opened up for the rest of the game. Uh, just a, a few other boneheaded calls by Peterson. Uh, hey, wait, Matt, can I just comment on that point? Definitely. And, you know, this is also why I think it would be great to have a podcast on play calling um, to get a better insight into it. But if you have a scripted set of plays at the beginning of the game, if let's just say half the plays work, don't you keep using those plays over and over again? Absolutely, Mike. And that's why I was scratching my head on that first drive. We hit... Deshaun with the jet sweep and we hit Deshaun on the uh, sideline and another Deshaun first down. We didn't see Deshaun the rest of the game until he's back for the uh, punt uh, return and he gets hurt on that. He's done for the season. Uh, I think he had one other target and it was an incomplete pass, but we did not target Deshaun the rest of the game. And I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I just want to mention one other boneheaded play that's just returning to me now. Um, it's fourth and goal, and they throw this fade to uh, Hakeem Butler, who, yes. who is Hakeem Butler. And it just – what's going on there, Doug? I mean, it just – that those moments are, are really where I find myself most frustrated um, because right. I think those are moments that change the game. Yep, I was going to comment on that, Chris. Uh, Hakeem Butler. Uh, I think we talked about him a few podcasts ago, the practice squad player that was a tight end or uh, receiver that we converted to a tight end. It was his first play as an Eagle. Uh, I think Wentz thought he had a mismatch on the outside. Uh, he throws a, a fade and uh, Hakeem Butler turns around almost like, why are you throw me this ball? But it is uh, fourth and goal, and it's a chip shot of a field goal. Yeah, I know um, our kicker misses the 29 uh, you we'll know, chip shot earlier, but 
uh, come on, kick the ball, make, get the points, uh, and it's a turnover on downs. And just back to uh, throwing the flag on that, I don't get it. You have uh, people up top that are in your ear. You have people on the sidelines that are watching the replay. There are so many people around Peterson that should be telling him to throw the flag, as well as you're the head coach. You should know to throw the flag and for him to be late for him to, you know, have the audacity then to argue. It's just, it's not what a professional coach head coach in the NFL should be doing. I agree with Mike. Let's have a podcast on Doug Peterson because I'm getting very frustrated with Peterson's uh, play call ability and just his overall approach to the game. Andrew. Yeah, look, I'll I'll make this simple because we, beaten this horse to death and will continue because he'll give us reason to there's no reason that he should be uh, the offensive coordinator right now he's struggling too much he can't handle it it's clear bring on somebody that can handle that aspect or he can offload that so he can pay attention and do the things that he was really successful with in years prior so that's that's all i have to say i love it matt uh, to Andrew's point about offensive coordinator, that's uh, Jalen Hurts' uh, two-point conversion with the whack, uh, three receivers stacked on either side. I think there was three offensive linemen and a running back uh, diamond formation. That's something maybe you see in college as a trick play. It shouldn't even be in the playbook. And for him to whip that out in an important part of the game is – boneheaded Chris well and it's not on it's not on Doug because I'm sure you didn't ask for this but there's this committee of people around him Marty Morningwig and all these other people uh where are the ideas where are the ideas and Andrew makes a great point I mean maybe Doug is a great leader of men and a great motivator and a guy that players will play for and we've seen that um but you know, th- there's so many uh, issues that I'm seeing right now with him. And, and I hope he's able to turn around as the team uh, hopefully continues to trend the way that they are. But uh, let's talk about some other uh, offensive, excuse me, performances in this game. Uh, Travis Fulgham, uh, again, has a, a solid game, goes five for 73. Just uh, fun guy to watch. Um, he, he had um, one play in particular that was on the sideline. He catches the ball in the air, kind of spins and runs up the sideline. It was just really graceful. Uh, I feel like a lot of times we see clumsy plays from the Eagles receivers, even when they're catching the ball. So he just does everything really naturally. He's got this kind of smooth game that, that I really like. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, real quick. That should have been a touchdown, actually. He was wide open and Carson underthrew it a little bit, but he did make a nice move to, to get a couple more yards out of it. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about. And actually, there's another play that Carson wound up uh, chucking the ball to Deshaun, and, and Fulgham was wide open on the opposite side of the field. Um, but Fulgham continues to be a player that's kind of proved himself and wasn't just a flash in the pan. Um, although he he completely blew up in that Steelers game, I think he'll he'll continue to be a player that that we want to see the Eagles use. Um, and Greg Ward as well, uh, five for 42 with a touchdown. Um, really a clutch touchdown. His routes are just perfect. When you watch him run routes, they're really crisp. Um, they're very precise. They're a little less smooth than uh, Travis Fulgham's, but uh, they're two players who have kind of walked a similar path in terms of trying to find ways into the league and both having made it. Um, and I'm kind of excited about the, the future outlook of Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham. You know, if that's what it winds up being and you can add um, John Hightower, Quez Watkins to the mix as another speed threat, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. I think maybe look to add another, maybe another receiver at some point uh, in the future, maybe in the draft. But I think that there's a sort of youth movement going on that Carson Wentz seems to play well with. So let's move on to talk about uh, the shaky kicking of Jake Elliott uh, and the fact that he missed a 29 yarder in this game and has missed a field goal in the last three games. Um, you know, Mike and I were there in 2017 when he kicked a 61 yarder. Uh, I, I thought he was kind of christened the golden God of Philadelphia after that. Um, and he's just really, we're going to have to stop going back to the 61 yarder. Um, Well, and I think maybe that's part of it. I think maybe that's a big part of what, where we can start off here that he's got this big resume. He's got this sort of clout from having hit these deep kicks and, and he's done it more than just in that game, never that from that long, but you know, he has made some big kicks, but there have been a lot of plays uh, this year, a lot of games with, you know, narrow margins 
that a field goal would have really helped and where he missed in sort of clutch situations where there was momentum and the offense stalled or, you know, any number of things. But um, what are your thoughts on Jake Elliott here? I mean, how are you, how are you feeling about it? Because I think the Eagles are going to ride with him. I think we know that because how he committed to him um, for, you know, five years or something like that. So we're really locked into this guy, but I, I don't know. Can you, do you kick your way out of this? What happens here? Does any does anyone know just before we begin the conversation on this how long he that's guaranteed money? Like, what is the act? Maybe maybe Matt, you can get that in the background. Does uh, Andrew look like you're about to give a point? Yeah. So um, while we look up those contract details, which are um, going to be way too high for a kicker, um, <laughs> my initial reaction to the recent struggles with Jake Elliott is get rid of him. It's kicker. What have you done for me lately? You move on, right? There's usually this this trend. If um, th- there's not a lot of teams that stick with a kicker through struggles, whether they've been with the team long term or not, whether they have a big contract or not. So, initially, gut reaction was, all right, time to move on. At least bring somebody else in to to um, push some competition. And I think Chris, you might have mentioned that they did bring in somebody. They did. Um, yeah. I think it was just to bring him in. They didn't do anything. I think it was just, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. It's to sort of like get him to notice. Yeah. Me, you need a little bit of a motivation, obviously. Look, I mean, he's, he's one for four from 50 plus and that was supposed to be his wheelhouse. He is perfect from, you know, 39 in um, except for the miss actually last night, the 29 yarder. Um, so he's down to about 66%. His career, you know, is right around 84% the last three years. So very solid. Um, but yeah, he's he seemingly missed those clutch kicks, those kicks that you know you need him, uh, you count on him for. Um, I did recognize an interesting stat um, that maybe there's something more at play with him. Maybe there is an injury of some sort. I I don't know, but um, he has a 72 percent uh, touchback percentage, which is actually top ten. I think it's like ninth or tenth in the league. Um, but that's down to 50 percent in the last three games. So that kind of correlates with some recent struggles in the kicking game with him kicking field goals. I have no idea. I could be just making something up out of nothing, but you know, there's a bit of correlation there. Maybe there's an injury. I don't know, but it's certainly been disappointing this year. He was somebody that you always look to rely on. Um, And I think that actually impacted some of the play calling that Doug made. I think he went for it early on the fourth down when they were at the 30, you know, that's not too big of a, of a field goal, but he, he went for it and it was actually a terrible play call, but um, Carson was able to scramble and pick it up. Uh, so, you know, he went to him eventually. Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's uh, just a, uh, a recent down tick or, you know, maybe there's a bug there, but I don't know, like you said, I, and Matt, do you have his contract up? I, I think we're going to stick with him. Um, you know, maybe either way, even if the contract is, uh, is what it is. Yeah, let's hope it's just the yips. Yeah, we're looking at five years, $19.3 million. Uh, average salary per year, 3.86. Guaranteed at signing, 5.56. Uh, total guaranteed, uh, $10 million, over $10 million. Uh, free agent in 2025. Guys, what's killing me is these workout bonuses, 50 grand a year for working out. I I still need to dive into what the workout bonus is. Also, I cannot stand the look on his face after he misses a kick. It just drives me crazy. I wish the long snapper would hit him in the face and just say, wipe that stupid look off your face, make the next one. Mike? Yeah, it's it's frustrating. I'm also seeing on on his contract um, that there, it says potential out of tw- in 2022. Um, so I don't know if that means he's guaranteed money through 2021, and then the Eagles potentially could get get a new kicker. But it does look like it would cost them money to not you know pay out the rest of his contract. Um, yeah, frustrating player. I like what Andrew said. He's a kicker. If you can replace him, give me a new one because it's getting frustrating watching uh, points just get left off the board and having close games. Yeah, he's uh, going to be spending the rest of 2020 kicking for redemption, I think. 
just because he's had such a rough start. Um, and truthfully, that contract, like listening to it and having just played the, the Ravens and watching Justin Tucker, um, I think Howie thought he had that kind of thing going. Um, and clearly we saw a different class of kicker. Uh, he, Tucker hit a really long one in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's just so automatic. And, and we used to see that from Jake Elliott. And like I said, I think he'll be uh, trying to redeem himself. Let's hope. Uh, over the next few weeks. And let's hope it's just been the yips that have kept him down. But in addition on the offense, the O-line uh, was kind of shaky in this game. We mentioned that sometimes they were holding up and it was Carson Wentz who was not really aware in the pocket, but uh, Sua Opeta got the start at, uh, at uh, was that right guard or left guard? Now I can't remember. They keep moving Nate Herbig around. So I can't remember what the uh, lineup was, but I want to say Sua Opeta yeah, was playing. Uh, Herbig, on the... Herbig was left and Opeta was right. Okay. All right. So um, I, I thought there were times where, you know, obviously Opeta had the, um, the penalty, but I think there were times the O-line was shaky in general. Obviously we saw uh, Lane Johnson in and out of the lineup again. We, don't know what the future is going to look like there, uh, but I think we can expect uh, somewhat of a revolving door as things continue here, um, because if certainly Lane is able to push through or if Jack Driscoll comes back into the fold, uh, they're probably going to look to shuffle things around again. But I think Herbig and uh, Mylotta have played pretty well. Personally, in this game, I saw Mylotta get beat uh, more than one time. Um, and kind of pushed back, which is just staggering for someone of his size. So let's just hope it was that kind of game uh, where he was just kind of off. And we haven't seen that much from him and just remembering that he's still new to the game. But um, let's hope that Carson can develop a little bit of better awareness. And let's hope the O-line can develop some kind of continuity. I think what Mike said before about the run game being a byproduct of what the O-line is doing is absolutely true. So moving on, uh, the defense definitely – came up where they needed to uh, most uh, sort of topically at the end of the game with Brandon Graham having a strip sack to sort of seal the deal. Um, but I think we all expected more in this game. The defense did have three turnovers uh, complete with an interception from Jalen Mills, which was uh, actually kind of pretty in slow motion, uh, just kind of falling through the air. But uh, they only generated three sacks, uh, eight quarterback hits, seven tackles for loss. Um, I was really expecting a lot more in this game, especially from uh, an O-line, which is uh, just a little bit better than the Cincinnati O-line uh, that the Eagles played and got eight sacks against. So uh, I was kind of disappointed from that point of view, but BG does make that big play. Mike uh, named him his defensive player of the game. So he hits twice this week. Uh, I and I do think we should start. Say that again. I, I had a good game. Good picks. Um, you did. I think we should start keeping BG, track though. of that. Yeah, I think we should start keeping track of that if we can, because uh, Mike's, Mike's definitely hitting on these last couple. But um, I think the defense seems to, um, at times, give up these really frustrating runs from uh, opposing offenses. And in this game, it came from a play uh, from Daniel Jones, who breaks through the middle of the defensive line and runs 80 yards, uh, only to stumble and fall uh, before reaching the end zone. Um, and really, this was sort of a, a horrendous play. And the way that it was shown in replay, you could see number 31, Nikel Roby Coleman, just standing there sort of watching Daniel Jones run away from him. Um, it was just kind of pathetic. And these things are going to happen every once in a while. But, you know, there was that play. And, and Gallman, who was the primary back for the Giants, didn't have a big night. But there were a couple runs there that he just kind of broke through and one thing we can usually count on is the Eagles being a really solid run defense, and they're going to continue to see some good backs uh, in the weeks to come here. So they really have to get sort of that part of their game together, but they made the plays when they needed to. They made stands when they needed to. Uh, a highlight play in my mind was Alex Singleton um, pushing Devontae Freeman back into Daniel Jones. I just thought that was kind of an epic play, uh, and I think Singleton really deserves a lot of credit for the way he's been playing at the linebacker. Um, but realistically, you know, kind of looking at this game from a zoomed out point of view, oh, one more comment, uh, the uh, Craven LeBlanc versus Golden Tate play, uh, I think it was the first Giants touchdown was just really frustrating. You kind of saw 
what Cravon is uh, on that play, which is unfortunate because he had nice coverage, but uh, just kind of was outplayed in that moment. But, you know, the Eagles were really one Evan Ingram drop away from losing this game to the one and five Giants. And uh, I think it, it can't be said enough that, you know, we started off the podcast talking about our feel and Mike mentioning that, you know, you wish the win was by more. And they had opportunities in this game, not just Jake Elliott's missed field goal, but, you know, other times in this game where uh, they were, just kind of coming up short and especially in short yardage situations. So this was a frustrating game, but it was a division win. And uh, with the Cowboys also having lost, uh, the Eagles are atop the NFC lease right now uh, at a, a very laughable two, four and one. Uh, and they will this upcoming week play on Sunday night football against the Dallas Cowboys. So lots of questions heading into this week. A lot of them being related to injury. We're going to hope to have some more information as of later in the week when we podcast to preview that game. Uh, but we're just glad to get a win at this point in the year. Matt. Hey, Chris, just want to say a little bit about the defense. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I was pretty impressed with the defense, though. Um, if you look at the stats and you take away that 80-yard Daniel Jones run, uh, the new – New York Giants only rushed for 80 yards and only had 187 uh, receiving yards. So uh, pretty good numbers. I yeah, think it's, uh, it's the Giants, Matt. It's the New York yes, Giants. That's yes, I know. Uh, but still pretty good numbers. I thought Schwartz had a good game plan attacking uh, their rookie uh, tackle, Andrew Thomas. Uh, Andrew Thomas was benched in game six. Uh, they put him out there for this game, and uh, I mean, he uh, his confidence was already uh, shaky coming into this game by being benched the uh, previous game. And uh, your Nathan Geriatric led the team with eight tackles, a sack, and a tackle for a loss. So uh, I know I've, I'm the biggest hater, but good for him having a uh, a decent game. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you with uh, Cravon uh, giving up that uh, Golden Tate tackle or Golden Tate touchdown. It looks like decent coverage, but couldn't make the tackle. Also, he had a PI uh, uh, call on uh, Golden Tate coverage late in the game that uh, was, uh, I mean, it, it was blatantly uh, pass interference on uh, Cravon. So, uh, I expect more out of him. I know we have a couple beat up guys, but if he's going to uh, be in there, especially against good wide receivers that we may see, uh, we need more from him. Yeah. One quick note um, and more of a, a negative, but Hassan Ridgeway went down and it looks like he's yes, out for the season. For so, um, you know, I think we've, we've seen flashes from him and um, you know, I think that's actually a bigger loss than, than maybe we'll, we'll give it credit for the defensive line depth, which was seemingly a strength is starting to dwindle a bit. Um, also, I, I, I'm not seeing enough from uh, Hargrave. I don't know if you Chris are feeling the same way, but I am. You know, whereas Fletcher might not have the statistics, but clearly is disruptive and you can see it on the field. I'm, I'm not seeing stats or disruptive plays from Hargrave. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting Malik back. Maybe, maybe after the bye, is that what we're thinking? Um, I'm hoping so. I know he had a quadricep injury. Uh, I, I agree, Andrew. I've, I've wanted to see a lot more from Hargrave. And I think, you know, coming over from a different scheme uh, that there was always going to be sort of an adjustment. I know he had an injury at the very beginning of the year, but I've hoped to see more from him. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking at that the next couple of weeks because he was sort of a, a flashy signing in the offseason on a player who came in kind of heralded as being somebody that would fit perfectly with the Eagles defense. And we really haven't seen it, but we have from Malik Jackson. He's been impactful uh, pretty much every game he's been in. Um, and I think he's really the one sort of shining through when he's able to get snaps in um, next to Fletcher Cox. But yeah, I appreciate Matt, your point that they were just lining every defensive lineman and or linebacker up against Andrew Thomas and just saying, go after it. Um, and he was just getting worked every which way I thought uh, actually Derek Barnett had a couple of really crafty plays against him. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see, you know, that they're still, they're still in a position where they're sort of, by virtue of their personnel, as well as 
sort of the backfield and the way things are shaping up. The defense has some identity, but I think they're still sort of finding it just as the offense is, uh, but kind of, you know, albeit in a different way. But uh, again, and uh, how about uh, Vinny, Vinny Curry's number out on the field? Uh, haven't seen that in a while. And just want to comment, uh, Brandon Graham tied third in the league with six and a half sacks. So uh, keep that production up, BG. Also believe he's tied for third in the league in tackles for loss, if I'm not mistaken. So he, he's definitely he's having a, a, a he, he he's having a great guys. year. And he, his goal has always been to get to 10 sacks. And, and who and, knows, maybe and, he will. Mike, yeah. you got no, you got to keep picking him as your defensive player of the game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, Brandon Graham, he goes back a long way. Um, you know, he was a guy that people weren't people were going to write him off early. Um, and, you know, he came on the more. I guess in his third or fourth year, I was hoping the same was going to happen with Nelly, but I guess he had to leave Philadelphia in order to uh, really get his shine on. But I will also say um, I read a nice article from Rube uh, this past week where he did kind of burn Howie a little bit in the front office for deciding, and, and he wasn't saying he had anything against Vinnie Curry. Um, he thinks Vinnie Curry's a, a great veteran and a good player. Um, but he said, strategy-wise, it would have made way more sense for the Eagles to keep Casey Toolhill, who they ended up letting go, who I think Washington picked right up. Um, yeah. Great point, but, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's just to the depth on the D-line. But that, I guess, as a front office point. Well, no, and I think Andrew mentioned the D-line dwindling. I mean, you you draft Casey Tuhill in the seventh round out of Stanford. Uh, he is good enough to make the 53-man roster. And I guess they put him on thinking that he would make it through waivers. And Washington, a team that does not need a defensive lineman, picks him up. So, you know, it, it's a foolhardy move. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we should do a Doug podcast, and maybe we can call it Where Are Your Balls, Doug? Um, but I also think we could do we could do a whole different one on on Howie um, and sort of those type of situations where it's just like you know kind of what are you thinking there the Jake Elliott move you know all these things into consideration but uh, the Eagles do all things said um, where are your balls Doug Irvin Peterson where are your balls um, that we will get together again later on this week to preview the Eagles Sunday night football matchup against the Dallas Cowboys the Eagles are hosting them. Uh, on Sunday night football. We don't know who's going to play quarterback. We don't know what injuries the Eagles are going to still have or not have. Uh, we're hopeful, uh, but they are two, four and one. And we'll hope that after that game going into the bye, they will be three, four and one. But until then, fellas, nice job tonight. Go birds. Go birds. Good talk. <laughs>